Welcome to Waypoint Community Church. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. And you've come in the middle of a series that we're doing called Stranger Things. We're using a Netflix series to help us consider some truths in the scripture about how we're to live. Now, the show's premise is that there are two worlds battling for influence over the people in that show. And that's kind of our lives. We're in that same place where we find ourselves caught between a culture that wants to influence us, wants to give us beliefs, attitudes, values, and God who says, man, I want you to accept my beliefs, my attitudes, my values, and if you'll do that, you could be salt and light. It could bring some purpose and meaning to your life. It might put you in difficult spots too because the light will shine in the dark and the salt will preserve But this is what I have in mind for you. I have this opportunity for you to live a certain way. And so we spent the first week talking about what it meant to be salt and light. Last week, Nick got practical about how it's supposed to impact our relationships. And this morning, we're going to look at some more practical words of Jesus, how he said, this is supposed to come out in the way you live. Here's, Here's when you accept my values, this is what it looks like. Now, we just started with an 80s song, and I I know she said, I couldn't believe she said, I hope you enjoy this. I was thinking, it's an 80s song. Of course they're going to enjoy this. What are we talking about here, right? Um, This was a a song about a guy in shades. Uh, Yeah, there he is. And, uh, And he's singing about how he feels like he's being messed with. She's deceiving me. She's messing with my security. And he wants her to stop. Now, I, I kind of, as I listened to the song, I didn't think he was a gem either because at one point in the song, he said, you've got it made with a guy in shades. I was like, wow, think of a lot of ourselves, don't we? Right? He thought he was pretty special. But what that song does for us is it leads us right up to our question that we're going to be talking about this whole morning. What do you do when someone wrongs you? What do you do when... Somebody does something that hurts you. Now, you might think, okay, it kind of depends. Is this a big hurt, a small hurt? And I kind of don't think it matters. I've kind of come to the conclusion watching people that the intensity of the response might be different, but the underlying motivation often is the same. When somebody does something to you, you respond back often. So somebody gives you a small insult Do you let it go, or do you look for the opportunity to return that small insult in kind? Or if it's a big insult, do you let it go, or do you look look for the perfect chance to change their world forever, right? When I insult them back, they're going to know what hit them. Or maybe it's just in small things. You, you post something online, you know your friend saw it, but she didn't say she liked it. So you note that the next time they post a picture, you're going to make sure you comment on how you saw it, but you're not going to like it either, right? Oh, we do this stuff. It seems petty, right? Some of us are like, oh, that's so petty. I would never do that. Instead, what you do is you take and you stuff that stuff in. I'm not going to respond like that. I'm going to store it. I'm going to store it for the moment when I'm going to explode. And some of you are stuffers. And so you might not think, oh, I respond immediately. But eventually you respond. You get it out there. 
For others of you, you're more immediate. I mean, somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're lights and horn right there, right? And the second you have the chance, you go around them and you cut them off, justice served, right? And that, that's how you think about it. Or in a relationship, a girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, parent, good friend, they do something that you feel wrongs you, and so you strike back. And if it means you have to throw them under the bus, that's fine. They had it coming. See, in our culture, what feels pretty normal is to get even. And I'm, I'm not even sure that's right. Because I think in our culture, we like to up the ante. We like to actually get ahead. You give me a small insult, I'll give you a small insult back, and I'll twist it a little just to make sure you don't mess with me again. I'm going to up, listen, this up the ante thing, I'm talking from personal experience. This used to be my mode of operandi for, for a long part of my life. It really messed with my marriage when we first got married. Um, uh, like you, your hands would be wet. Have you ever done this before? And you like flick it and some water makes people jump and you think, oh, that's funny, right? So I would do that with Tracy and she would think, oh, we're joking. This will be fun. And she would do it back. It would escalate with me then eventually chasing her around the house with a bucket of water, right? And she'd be like, I don't want to play with you anymore. You know, you got a problem. And I'm like, you're a sore loser. I had a problem. I would up the ante. I would just, I would just keep going. Well, here's, here's the problem with all of this. Whether you're just getting even or up in the ante, here's the truth. In this life, you're going to be wronged. And how you respond matters. I made a list. I, I could have I stood here for the rest of the morning making a list of all the ways that you could possibly be wronged. I just made a few short things here that I think a lot of people have experienced. Somebody speaks down to you, it's condescending and rude. And you, you have to decide what you're going to do after they've done that to you. Somebody decides they don't like your personality and they make comments on it all the time or they take advantage of your personality. They know you're a giving person so they just keep pushing it and pushing it and you don't know what to do but you feel wronged. Somebody gossips about you. Maybe it's wrong, maybe it's right. Doesn't matter, it all hurts. Somebody you care about deeply lies, bold face to you, and you feel wrong. Somebody takes the credit for something that you did or said. Somebody cuts in line in front of you, just a small thing. Somebody cheats in your classroom, messes up the whole bell curve, and now you're all paying for their cheating. Somebody said that you said something damaging and hurtful. They said it. They're the ones who did it. But now everybody believes that it was you. And you feel wronged. In that moment when you feel wronged, you're filled with emotions. You want to respond to that because you're so hurt. And it's in that moment where you have a choice. There'll be two worlds tugging on you. One of them 
will say, listen, get even, get ahead. And there'll be another one that's tugging on you. And, and when you hear the message of that one, you're going to think, that doesn't seem right. Get even, get ahead. That's normal. That's common. That's the way our culture is. This makes sense to me. But this other one, this other one seems out of sync. What, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, fortunately for us, God's going to give us some instruction. Jesus is actually going to sit with his disciples and talk about this very idea. What happens when somebody wrongs you? What response do you have? When you feel that pull between these two worlds, what do you do? How do you think about this stuff? So Jesus is sitting with his disciples. He's just talked about salt and light. So everything that comes after this is about the kind of choice that you get to make to be salt and light in the world or to miss out on that opportunity. You just kind of blend in and are discarded like salt that gets thrown on the sidewalk. And Jesus starts in verse 38 and he uses a pattern that he's gonna use for the next two and a half chapters. And he says this, You have heard it said, and he's not messing around. When he says you've heard it said, he's talking to a bunch of guys who've heard a culture talking a certain way their whole lives. They just haven't heard it said. They're living this. And and what he's about to respond to here, what Jesus is about to say you've heard it said is actually from the Torah. So they would have said, yeah, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, and tooth for tooth. And they would have said, yes, we've heard that. God said it. And we're so grateful that God said it because that gives us permission to get even with people. It's it's an ordained gift from God that makes us so happy because we can put our friends in place who hurt us. We can strike back at people who are close to us. We can mess with people who mess with us because it's eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. One problem. The section of scripture that this was given to the nation of Israel was given in a section where um, God was setting down the legal system for Israel. They weren't established as a nation. He was trying to put a whole bunch of pieces in place. And one of them was to help judges and people who would sit at the city gates figure out how to settle judgments between people. And he said, here's the judgment. It's eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And this would have been a radical idea at this time in history. Up to this point, if you were wealthy, justice didn't really apply to you. If you... If you did something that cost somebody their eye, who knows if you would pay any price at all? You were rich, you you could just get away with it. And besides, who cares? It was just a poor person. But in Israel, they said, no, 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 no. The only way to deal with this is eye for an eye. Now listen, this is really important. The way this principle was practiced is a judge would figure out what the right compensation was for the loss of that eye, and it would be paid in a financial way. They were not taking eyes from each other. 
They were not pulling out teeth from each other. They were not burning each other. This is the way a lot of Christians have read this and they misunderstand it. This was a principle given to a judge to figure out if this is fair, if this king took your eye, this is a fair payment for this and I don't care who he is, he pays the price. And here's the judgment against them and here's the fee. So th this, was, this was actually a sensible, kind of really cool thing that God had established there should be equal compensation. It doesn't matter who you are. But somewhere between when God gave that and first century Israel, something changed. The nation of Israel looked at this section of scripture and said, this has to do with personal grievances. If you hurt me, I can hurt you. If you insult me, I can insult you. If you're stingy with me, I can be stingy with you. Um, they called it social reciprocity. It was basically payback. Whatever you would do to me, I had the right to do to you. And I, and I, could, I could press it if I wanted to. Demand this right of mine because eye for eye tooth for tooth. And Jesus' disciples were living this way. It's all they knew. Their whole culture had accepted that this was the way to deal with personal relationships. And Jesus was addressing this. And in verse 39, he flips everything on its head. And he starts by saying, but I tell you, you've heard it said one way. You're living one way. You've been influenced by your culture and the way you've understood this, but I'm gonna give you some different cues. I'm gonna give you some different ways to think about this. And if you will, if you'll listen to me, you'll have a chance to be salt and light. You'll have a chance to embrace my values and live differently. Goes on to say, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. <laughs> what? That's in, they would have considered this some of the craziest talk you've ever heard. Now, I, I want to be really clear here. What Jesus is talking about is the personal grievances that happen between us. People have read this and have applied this globally to all kinds of things. That's not what Jesus was doing. When you want to get a global good idea, then you put all of the scripture together. Jesus was talking about a very specific thing going on. This eye for an eye living had permeated the whole culture. And Jesus was addressing that if you go along with everything, nobody will know you're any different. But my values aren't that way. And he starts to give examples of what he means when he says, I don't want you to resist evil. And they are all about personal grievances between people. At the end of, or in the middle of verse 39, he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. <laughs> what? I'm supposed to be a punching bag now? Listen, don't read this like it was written to you. It wasn't. This was written to a people and a culture at a time, and if you understand what he's saying to them, then you can take that principle and make sense right here and right now. So we're gonna do that, and we're gonna look at all of his examples first, and then we're gonna go back, but be careful. We've read this without understanding the context, 
And he's not talking about sitting there and being a, a punching bag for somebody. That's not what's happening here. But he starts giving more examples. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. What? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, we don't know what's going on here, but as soon as we in our culture see the word force, we know we don't like it. Nobody's going to force me to do anything. That's American, right? I'll do it if I want to. Force me? No. Last, give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. <laughs> Great. Now I'm going to be a deadbeat magnet, right? That's what you're, th I mean, if you look through all of this, you can start to arrive at some bitty, pretty big conclusions if you don't understand the context and what that they were given. So let's make sure we do that first before we go on. When Jesus says, listen, when somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other, he was talking about a formal insult in their day and age. It was actually a strike of the backhand to the right cheek of another person. It was done in public to insult and shame them. It wasn't, it wasn't somebody going, I'm getting, I'm getting my hips and all of my weight into this. I'm insulting you. And Jesus said, hey, when they lay this insult down on you, when they decide to try to humiliate you publicly... I want you to just turn the other cheek, let them insult you again, and I'm gonna ask you to forgive them. I'm gonna ask you to find a way to let this thing go. He says, if somebody sues you and they win your shirt, give them your cloak. What is he talking about? Jesus picked the one item, the coat, the cloak, that was not... Um, it was not legal for you to take that from somebody. In Exodus chapter 22, I, I found this um, so that you could see it. Uh, I hope I put it on there. Did I? No. I do this to Josh every time he's back there. There's a section of scripture where he talks about um, that if you lost a lawsuit in ancient Israel, and you had to give up your cloak. By the end of the evening, they had to give it back to you because you slept in it. That was the one item you were not allowed to take from somebody. And so Jesus says, listen, they sued you for a shirt. You have every right to your cloak. I want you to give up your right. This thing that you think you have a right to, I want you to give that away too. In my kingdom, in my values, I want you to stop struggling for what you think you're rightfully due and give that up instead. Go one mile. It could have been a couple things. I, th I think it was one primarily. Uh, the Romans had a law that if they were walking with a heavy pack, a Roman soldier, and they saw somebody on the road, they could compel them to carry that for a mile. They had to stop what they were doing, um, put it off to the side, and carry that pack. The, the mile markers, there were mile markers along every Roman road, so you knew when you had gone a mile. And Jesus was saying, listen, they can force you to do this, but when you feel like you're being wronged, I want you to lean into this, 
And I want you to have a spirit of willingness to serve that other person who's taken advantage of you. And I want you to go a second mile when you don't have to. He's talking to people who hated Romans. The thought that they would cooperate with him any more than simply what was by law, what they had to do, would have been hard for them to accept. The last one, he's not talking about us becoming a bank for everybody. People would um, loan out money to their friends and families at times. But in Israel, there was a seven-year window. At the end of seven years, all debt was forgiven. It was a redo, it was a restart. And what would happen is you would collect enough money over those seven years that you would get your principal back plus you would make some extra. And then the debt would be forgiven and if they wanted to take out another loan, they could do that. But sometimes somebody in need, a family member or a close friend, would come and ask for a loan and there was only a year left. And they would promise to pay it back but you knew there was only a year and if they got to the end of that year and they hadn't paid you back, that debt would be forgiven. You could not collect it. And you weren't really sure if you wanted to be wronged in that way. So you would refuse to meet their need even though you could make that loan. And Jesus said, listen, I know you think this puts you in a bad place, but I want you to make the loan instead. I want you to set yourself up for this wrong that could potentially happen to you because you know them and you know the need that's in place. All of these examples are about these personal grievances that we have with each other where somebody wounds us or hurts us and we respond. And Jesus' answer is uncommon, it's odd, it's not, it doesn't go in sync with our culture at all. We, we're our, get even, get ahead, strike back. And Jesus says, I don't want you to resist. I want you to forgive. I want you to stop demanding your rights. I want you to be inconvenienced. I want you to be okay that maybe you're gonna be taken advantage of. Why in the world is he saying this? See, I think Jesus understands our world um, sometimes a little better than we do. One, he understands that we are going to be wronged. And the second you are, you're gonna be faced with that pull and that tension of what you're supposed to do about that. And in our culture, this idea that if you strike back, if you get even, if you get ahead, you have this sense that justice has been fulfilled. Uh, In the first season of Stranger Things, there was a scene where justice seems fulfilled. Somebody's wronged and somebody strikes back. And I'm curious, I'm curious to know how you feel about it when you watch this scene. Uh, Check this out. Jump. Our toothless here gets an early trip to the dentist. I'll cut him right now. All right, just hold on. Hold on. Mike, don't do it. I don't need my baby teeth, Mike. Mike, seriously, don't.
Mike, don't do it. Seriously, don't do it, man. Seriously, don't. Detroit, how this is this a good idea, man? Mike, don't! Take this office opens in five! Four! Three! Two! Mike! One! science fiction. That's why the kid can fly. What, what happened in you when you saw that? Did your heart kind of leap and go, man, they had it coming? Because that's what happens in us often when we see that. But did you hear him say what he said at the end? If you come back here, she'll what? She'll kill you. I'm up in the ante. See, Jesus knows this about us. He knows that when we think we're getting even, when the justice feels so good, that we think that we're putting it out of our lives, that it's gone, that it's no big deal, and we're finished with it. But that's not what happens. See, when you've kept track of something so that you can get even, You've got a running scorecard in your head and you're keeping track of everything and you know when you've been harmed and you think you're even or you think you're ahead and you're keeping track all the time and you carry this stuff. You carry this stuff around and it starts to get in the core of who you are and it will change you. And the whole time, you think, I'm just getting even. When reality is, you're going to carry some junk for a really long time. And the truth is, you're probably going to try to get ahead. And oftentimes, you start a spiral. Because your attempt to get ahead, when you twist that knife just a little bit with that final insult that you give, that other person doesn't feel like it's equal anymore. And now they're looking to strike back. And this can cause major problems. Uh, in, in the second season of this series, there's actually a moment where the two worlds are starting to have a war with each other. Uh, the upside down world is starting to invade the real world. And people haven't figured it out yet. 
They're starting to see some consequences, but they haven't fully understood what's happening. And Will, one of the kids in the show, who's a conduit for the upside down world, starts giving them clues. He's drawing on some paper and they put some stuff together and they figure out what he's kind of communicating and the consequences of it. I want you to watch this. Like lightning. You think it's a storm? No, the storm he drew was completely different. He used red. Now, this is all blue and has some weird dirt color. I mean, maybe it's its roots. Because remember he, he was saying it was spreading and... It... Killing. He said they were killing. They figured out that the upside down world was starting to spread roots and branches underground where you couldn't see it. And the results is it started killing things on the surface. That's you and me. See, when you decide to take a wrong that somebody's done in your life and you think you're unloading it by responding with a, your sense of justice by getting even or getting ahead, you're storing that at the core of who you are and it festers. And as it festers inside you, it will put down roots. It will branch out in areas of your life. And all of a sudden, you're going to start responding with anger over here. And you're not going to know where it came from. Why am I upset about this? I don't know, because you, you held this at the core of who you were. And that anger that you felt has now spread. That bitterness that you had inside you is now all throughout your life. That dislike that you have for another person, you're starting to feel that for everybody. Why? Because you thought eye for an eye made sense. It's, it's, it's normal for us. It's natural for us. I'm going to strike back. I'm going to do some damage here. And instead, what you did was you held something at the core of who you were that started to kill you from the inside out. It will rot everything. Listen, this is really important. If you allow something like that to fester inside who you are, no one will be left untouched. No one in your life. See, um, festering has the ability to separate siblings. People who should have each other's backs for their lifetimes, some won't even talk to each other because of things that have festered. It can, it can destroy 
friendships that you have, really great friendships, people that you've trusted for years, and now you can't even walk by them without feeling uncomfortable, let alone look them in the eye. Because something in you had festered. That coworker who wronged you and you've held it against them. You used to share all kinds of stuff. Now you can't even share a pencil. You can't even do the simplest thing. Why? Because it festered and it spread roots. Can I just tell you, this has the ability to destroy even the most sacred of relationships where you hold your wound against the spouse who you think has hurt you and it grows and grows over time and eventually you see that person as an enemy and it, the roots of bitterness have grown deep within you because you've held on and you've kept score and you're not even yet. And God says, listen, your chances of being salt and light in the world will not happen if you choose to hold this stuff at the core of who you are. If you decide to live eye for an eye with the personal grievances in your life, you will kill you. Now here's the problem. We live in a world where you will be wronged. It's gonna happen. And in that moment when it does, there will be two worlds fighting for your attention for you to respond in a certain way. But I suspect because we've grown up in a culture that sees it one way, that many of us already have some stuff that we've held on to, that we're looking for our chance to get even, to get ahead. And we're carrying this stuff. Maybe it's fresh, maybe it happened last week. You still feel wounded over words that were said. Maybe this is decades old. You, you feel like your parents favored your other siblings and you got the raw end of the deal. Or, or um, any number of things where 10 years ago, your friend who you'd done everything with said that thing that hurt you and you haven't spoken to them since. And the truth is, you have carried that around. It is growing roots and branches in your life that are leaving destruction. And any chance you have of being salt and light are being squeezed out. And this morning, I wanna give you a chance to take a different path. I want to give you a chance to evaluate anything that might be there right now, any hurts that you've been carrying around that you've been storing up. I want you to, I want you to process what that might be, and I'm going to give you a chance to write that down on a piece of paper. Maybe it's one or two or three things. Maybe for you, you're like, I've kept a, I've kept a good slate and so maybe I would challenge you to say, I'm gonna commit to finding a way to keeping my slate clean. I'm not gonna carry some stuff. But in the middle of your table, there's a little piece of paper. There's pens there for everybody. I'm gonna ask you to grab that. If you're sitting in a chair, there's gonna be some people who come around and hand you a piece of paper and a pen. And I want you to consider, is there anything that you're carrying that you've been carrying for a while now? 
And I want you to write it on that piece of paper. Is there someone they've been really bitter towards? The situation happened where you were wrong. There's no doubt about it. But you haven't been able to let it go. You haven't been able to forgive. You're still demanding your right. And God's going to come to you today. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to be present and ask you to release that out of your life. Say, this thing that has hurt me, that's wounded me, I, I, I want to get this on paper. Once you get that on paper, I want you to fold that up and put it in your hand if you would. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to ask you to get up and go out these two doors here or that side door over there. Go right through the lookout hall onto the deck and off to the side, there's going to be a fire there. Just a little fire. And I'm going to ask you to sacrifice that to God. I'm going to ask you to just drop it in the fire and decide right now that you're going to let that go. That you, instead of carrying that insult, you're going to forgive. Instead of demanding your rights, you're going to let it go. Instead of being forced to do something that you really hate, you're going to enter into it with a sense of willingness. That you're willing to take the risk in somebody else's life, even if you could be wronged, because you want to embrace God's values, his kingdom, and you want to have a shot at being the salt and light you were always meant to be. That's what all of that's going to symbolize. So if you've got that on your piece of paper and you've got that in your hand, I'm going to ask you to stand and head out there and I'm going to meet you out there. We're going to end the service out around the fire.